With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is November the 5th, 2021. Uh, and wow, uh, we're almost up to Thanksgiving. Um, fall well underway. Time flies uh, quickly. And we are, what, about nine months into the Biden administration and the Biden wrecking ball uh, continues. But I, I have to tell you, um, watching the results of the election. I'm getting static in my earphone. I know we had problems last week. I hope we won't have a problem this week with the technical difficulty. Hopefully we won't. Um, but I have to tell you, watching the outcome of the election, uh, I'm reminded of something that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had to say. And I didn't always agree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't almost uh, always, I almost never agree with anybody on every issue. But I had tremendous respect for her. I thought she was a brilliant woman. Uh, again, we can disagree. We've, we've, we've forgotten as Americans how to disagree with each other. Think about how she got along so well with Justice Scalia. As Americans, we need to stop the squabbling, the fighting, this um, divisiveness that seems to have taken hold of our country. It's toxic. It destroys our country. And our enemies are thrilled to death. This is a real problem. And so um, what I want you to know, let me just check to make sure that we are broadcasting. Uh, Let's see if everything is working, if you can hear the program, hopefully. So uh, she made an interesting point during an interview. She said that there was a wise man who had said that, um, America's mascot should not be the bald eagle, but rather a pendulum, a pendulum. And if you think back to the 50s and the insanity of the Joe McCarthy era, McCarthyism, uh, where the radical right went nuts, now we've got the radical left going nuts, and somehow Americans showing more common sense and more morality and integrity than those that we elect to office all too frequently, we righted the good ship America. And I, I think it's coming. I think the American people have had it. And it's interesting. I did a bunch of radio interviews. I'd like to believe that maybe I influenced how some people um, saw the issue. But I said that when this nonsense with the children and critical race theory came up, uh, you know, when you go out into the wilderness, when you're in the woods, you're told that if you encounter a cub, a baby bear, give it wide berth. Because where there's a baby bear, there's probably a mama bear and a papa bear. And if you get too close to their baby, they will go for you. They will rip you to shreds. And I saw some people, some women on TV, one woman, in fact, sporting a sweatshirt uh, proclaiming herself to be a mama bear. And she pretty much said the same thing. You know, I could put up with all the nonsense, but now they're coming for my kids? Uh Uh-uh. You have to go through me to get to my children. And we saw the result of the election in Virginia. And I really think that sometimes things have to get so bad, so outrageous, so off the wall, that nobody but nobody can ignore it. I kind of compare it to a leaking roof. We've all experienced them if you own a home. You know, there's an occasional drip, there's a heavy storm, and you look up and you see a little watermark on the ceiling, and you say, gee, maybe I need a new roof. Maybe I need to patch that thing. And one day during a storm... I experienced it. The roof springs a leak. And suddenly, as it turned out, it was dripping on me as I was lying in bed. I woke up 
to uh, water torture. I was, I was getting hit by drops of water coming off the ceiling. Well, immediately, of course, I arranged for a roofer to come in and make the repair because now I couldn't ignore it anymore. The wet spot in the ceiling became a, 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 a leak, and that leak had to be plugged forthwith because if you don't plug it, a leaking roof can bring down an entire building. Well, our roof, America's roof, is doing more than leaking. And I think Americans are looking at the situation and saying, what in the world is going on? How did we allow this to happen? Because we had to allow this to happen, folks. That government is supposed to be our government. We the people. And we've been asleep at the switch. Most Americans would rather watch a ball game or go to the movies or play video games um, than deal with politics. Because politics is boring, it's disgusting, it's, it's a bunch of things, none of them good. Who wants to be bothered? Um, and suddenly we realize that by neglecting our responsibility as the citizens of a democrat republic, democratic republic, we allowed some pretty nasty mischief to be perpetrated on us by people that were employed by us to look out for our interests, and certainly they're not. They're looking out for the interests of the people that bribed them. It's both parties. Let's be real clear about it. This isn't one party or the other. Most of these idiots are republicrats. They, they put on a good show in public. They remind me of the wrestlers we used to watch when we were kids. You know, I'm old enough that I watched Buddy Rogers and Haystacks Calhoun and Antonina Rocca, and, and the list goes on. And, you know, we really thought that, that when we were kids, we really thought they were killing each other. It turned out they were spritzing ketchup on each other, but it looked like blood, especially on a black-and-white TV. Uh, a lot of it is an act, not all of it. But the point of the matter is, I don't believe that either party is really looking out for the average American. And I think too many politicians really don't understand the issues until it's explained to them. Uh, look, they're not any smarter than we are. They are from our population. We're truly, we truly have representative government in that way. These aren't geniuses that suddenly came down from Mount Olympus to, to do what was right. These were people who, for one reason or another, ran for office. And they all will tell you the same thing. Oh, I couldn't bear sitting in my living room and watching the news, and I wanted to fix what's wrong with America. Sure thing, Charlie. How many people in Congress, I wonder, couldn't get a job and said, gee whiz, I keep getting fired from my job, maybe this is my chance. Or, why should I hire a lobbyist to look out for my family's wealthy interests, because my family is millionaires? I'll go to Congress as a politician and I won't have to deal with the lobbyists. I'll be my family's lobbyist as a legislator. I promise you, that does go on. You've got lots of millionaires in Washington. Some came worth lots of money, and others made their money, depending on what you consider making money or earning money, uh, taking a $150,000 a year paycheck and turning it into millions in, in 10 short years, like Dennis Haster, who who was prosecuted for being a child molester. So when I look at politicians, I'm not in awe of them, you know. Barbara Boxer, who could ever forget her, telling a military leader, how dare you call me ma'am, I'm a senator. I would have looked her in the eye and said, what's wrong, Babs? These people are supposed to be representing us. I mean, I look at Nancy Pelosi, who has nothing but contempt for the people she swore an oath to represent. Think about the ice cream, okay? The night that Americans didn't know if they'd be able to feed their children, she was standing in front of her $25,000 or whatever the heck that damn refrigerator cost, cost more than most people's cars, and started displaying all of her designer ice cream, 15 or $20 a pint ice cream. What does it say about who she is? What kind of empathy she possesses? You know, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'm thinking of working on an article that says rather than critical race theory, we need to have critical empathy theory to look at fellow Americans, fellow human beings, and say, you know, life is a tough proposition. I just made that point when I was on with Dave Janda. Uh, I did a, pod, a video podcast for him. Life is a tough proposition. If you've been listening to my program or read my material over the years, you know, um, I had a tough time as a kid. We all go through hell. 
I was just watching Jay Leno's Garage. Sugar Ray Leonard came on, and Jay asked him how he became a professional boxer. He said he had no intentions of doing that, but he turned pro because his father was hospitalized, and I believe he was in a coma, and he needed to make the money to support his family. So many people go through hell. It's not an easy ride. And even if you're having a wonderful time of it, you don't know what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes. Forget about tomorrow. I, I tell people that forget about sun, sunrise tomorrow. How many people won't be here for sunset tonight? So to be arrogant enough to say, oh, life is treating me well so far. So far. It was a satchel page who said, don't look back. Something may be gaining on you. We should be pulling for each other. We should be concerned about each other. Critical race theory is designed to divide America and turn American against American. Iran, Russia, China, they love critical race theory. We destroy ourselves, and then they could step over our carcass and take what they want. That's their game plan. There have been articles about Iran hacking into our computers, pretending to be Americans on, on one side or the other to stir the pot. To stir the, it's the oldest game in the world, to turn American against American. We need to work together as a family. America is a big family a very diverse family, and I'm thinking about the late Colin Powell who was laid to rest today. I was watching part of the funeral service. And if you want to talk about America and, and race theory, Colin Powell was the son of Jamaican immigrants, black man, became the Secretary of State, came from very humble origins, went to City College. I went to Brooklyn College. My, two of my kids went to City College. He was a C student, as he liked to say. Well, so was I. And look how he rose through the ranks. Now, whether you agreed with his politics or not isn't even the issue. It's the idea that America is a land of opportunity where you can overcome all the obstacles. When I was growing up, my parents told me that, unfortunately, I would encounter anti-Semitism. And I have. And it's ugly and it's disgusting. And it's no less disgusting than racism or any other form of bigotry. Because that's what it is. To decide you don't like somebody without even knowing them based on their race, their religion, or their ethnicity, uh, my gosh, that's what critical race theory is, isn't it? If you're white, you're inherently evil and you're irredeemable. That's what critical race theory is. If the concern is racism, well, the practitioners of critical race theory want to replace one form of racism with another form of racism. Two wrongs never made a right, and it's certainly not making a right today. But I remember my parents telling me that you will, unfortunately, encounter idiots who will judge you by the fact that you're Jewish. And they said, look at the Holocaust and what happened because of that blind stupidity. And they said the cure, the solution for you when you encounter anti-Semitism is to be so good at whatever it is you do. Study hard, get that education, because education is the great equalizer. And be so damn good at whatever you do for a living that even people that don't like you will have to respect you, they will have to hire you, and they will have to pay you what you're worth, and living well is the best revenge. And I still stand on my parents' shoulders every day when I wake up, and they've been gone well over 50 years. They both died of cancer within a year of each other. I had to care for both of them as they were dying. We didn't have family to help out. I was going to school, I was working, and I was caring for two dying parents. Tough time. It was tough on them. Uh, I try not to think about me because it was about them, not me. And, and somehow, because of the way they raised me, and I guess I got their DNA, I survived it. And then I went on and, and had a, a great career as a federal agent. It wasn't about looking for excuses or who do I blame. It was about buckling down and saying, okay, I've got a job in front of me. Let's get it done. did the same thing when my first wife died, and our son was all of 22 months old. Um, he wound up graduating with honors with an engineering degree. I took care of him. I took care of all of my kids. My most important job, as far as I'm concerned, was to be a father. And most people, truth be known, if they're rational and moral and decent, recognize their importance as parents. And what's happening in the schools I think, resonated with people across all political ideologies. The idea that the school is going to step in and get between me and my children, are you kidding me? 
And I think that that's what set off the alarm bells. So they should have been clanging even before that over so many issues, many of them involving immigration. Which brings me to um, the article that I highlight, if you go to the uh, website for my my blog talk radio program. Because I wrote an article, and uh, this is, of course, for U.S. Incorporated, usinc.org, and the title was Biden the Biden administration's powers up the magnet to attract even more illegal aliens. So, you know, we've been watching this nonsense playing out. Don't come, you know, they stand up. We don't want you to come. This isn't the time. Yeah, sure thing. But if you come, right, and and now, by the way, and I hope we have enough time for me to get to it at least briefly, this talk about giving $450,000 to aliens who were separated from their families when they entered the United States illegally. If that doesn't make your head want to explode, make sure that you can still fog a mirror if you understand what I'm saying to you. But I started working for the old Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS, back in 1971. And in 1985, 1984, there was talk running through the government that they were looking to put together an amnesty program. We're going to finally get a handle on illegal immigration. It was naive, it was ill-conceived, it was a really bad idea. But what they did was, as they always do in Washington, you know, compromise. All too often when they compromise, they compromise national security, public safety, and the well-being of Americans. That's what Washington compromise means, right? But they said, okay, so we're going to give amnesty to a million illegal aliens. We wound up with almost four million. And nobody counts how many children or spouses they brought in. That number is always ignored. So the Reagan amnesty of 86 under the Immigration Reform and Control Act, also known as IRCA, probably wound up granting maybe 20 million green cards to aliens ultimately. But they don't talk about that because they want to do it again. Because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the American Immigration Lawyers Association and all these various groups that are feeding at the trough want to push this down our throats once again. But back then, in 1986, they said the magnet that draws the majority of illegal aliens to the United States is the prospect of getting a job they should not have. We are going to turn off the power to that magnet by making it a crime for knowingly hiring illegal aliens for the very first time. And i got to tell you, the agents were ecstatic. We were sick and tired of watching employers exploit people that work for them. I may have mentioned it on this program. I'll briefly touch on it again. I remember getting a phone call. This was in the early 80s when it was not a crime to hire illegal aliens. And an employer, as it turned out, called up, but we didn't know it. Some guy calls up. Now, very often when people would call on the complaint line about some illegal alien, it was some guy or some woman who walked into their house in the middle of the afternoon and found their significant other doing the horizontal mambo with some illegal alien. So they wanted us to deport the illegal alien because they wanted their marriage to remain intact, or they wanted to get even with the bum that did this to them. So they'd call up and say, yeah, I know this guy, and he's working in a factory, and I think he's working under the name of Julio, and, and he's here illegally from Guatemala, or he's here illegally from Jamaica, or he's here illegally from England. didn't matter. This isn't about race, folks. Understand that. And we would go out and arrest the individual. But usually the information was kind of vague. Well, I got a phone call, and I picked up the phone. I was the duty officer that day. So I was, you know, fielding phone calls, working in the radio room, doing all the stuff that has to be done in the office. And we would rotate, so eventually everybody would have to spend a couple days doing it, and then we would, you know, be relieved by the next team and the next team and so forth. So my my partner and I were, were doing, you know, we were the duty officers in the office. And I get a phone call. And when I started to hear what this guy had to say, I waved for my partner to pick up a telephone because we had the push-button extension so he could listen in. And I had him unscrew the mouthpiece so he wouldn't hear someone else listening in. And I had him take notes while I was having the conversation because I knew this was an extraordinary conversation. The guy called up, and he says, I want you to go to whatever it was, some company that made uniforms or some kind of a clothing enterprise in Long Island City here in New York. And he said, there are five illegal aliens. You have a pen and paper. I'll give you their names. I'll give you their dates of birth. I'll give you their Social Security numbers. 
You almost never hear that. I said, wow, okay. So my partner got on the phone, and we're taking down the information, and he's giving us these five names. And I said, well, how do you know this? Now, are there other illegal aliens working there? He said, just about everybody is an illegal alien, but these five bums are trying to unionize, and I want them out of my factory. I said, your factory? Why don't you fire them? He said, well, they're going to sue me. But if you come and arrest them, no problem for me. And I said, so how many employees do you have? Oh, I got about 210 employees. I said, oh. And you say they're all illegal? Most of them are. How do you know? They don't have papers. I said, oh. How do you deal with taxes? And he started laughing. He goes, ah, this is immigration, not the IRS. I'm not answering any more of your questions. Just get down here and arrest these five bums before they create more problems for me. So my partner and I immediately went over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and we got a search warrant to look for illegal aliens because the owner of the factory told us flat out most of my people are here illegally. And we arranged a major field operation. My bosses, you know, sat down with me, and we had like three squads of agents. We had about, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 agents. And then we had vans because he had over 200 people in this factory. And we surrounded the factory, and I get up into that elevator with my partner, and he meets me at the door, and I show him my badge. He goes, wow, that's great. It's so good you're here. I'm a Korean War vet. Good for you guys. Here they are. And he was manhandling these guys. He was a big bull. He was about six foot four. You know, he had like a 25-inch neck, and he's grabbing these people by their collar and, and, and throwing them around like bags of coffee or something. I was appalled. I mean, he was getting really physical with these guys, and I told him to cool it. So these guys are illegal aliens. And they, you know, it was almost like they expected it to happen. We handcuffed them, and I turned to this guy, and I said, well, I'm going to interview the rest of your people. He says, you're going to get the hell out of my factory. Now you're a trespasser. He said, you're leaving right now, he said, or I'm going to take care of you myself, basically physically threatening me. And I said, well, I got a warrant. And I handed him the warrant, and he called up his lawyer. His lawyer said, they've got a warrant. You, you have no right to get in their way. You have to stand down. Well, I'm not standing down. And I went into his office, and his office was beautiful, and these people were working in squalor. Bottom line, we wound up arresting most of the people in his factory. And every couple of days, I would have lunch with my government car sitting on the sidewalk in front of the factory with my big placard that's in immigration so that it would scare away any other employees from coming there who were here illegally. We ultimately put this guy out of business, but it took quite an effort. And it bugged me the way this guy treated the people. I went into factories where women admitted to me that if they didn't have sex with the boss, they would lose their jobs. I mean, think about what we're talking about. It was a very different world from what the snowflake generation, uh, you know, sees today. What we saw was disgusting. It gave me nightmares, some of these cases. Fire exits blocked, just like the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire, you know, where the women couldn't get out of the factory when it caught fire and they died. And you'd walk into these places and they were violating every law under the sun. But legally, we couldn't do anything to them unless they were harboring them or unless they were smuggling them in. Other than that, we were stuck. So the idea that the law was going to finally give us a tool that we could use against pieces of garbage like that employer, we were happy about it. And we said, finally, we're going to even the scales of justice, except the Reagan administration never hired more agents. All this was, as far as we could tell, was a gimmick to justify amnesty with, with nothing else. We had about 2,000 immigration agents for the whole country. And immigration agents just don't just arrest illegal aliens. They're supposed to conduct investigations into fraud, which is a big issue. Fraud, as I've spoken about on this program, was determined by the 9-11 Commission to be the key method of entry and embedding for terrorists. Think about that. And last week I spoke about how the Biden administration is no longer going to go after people who get U.S. citizenship by lying on their applications. They applied, they lied, who cares? That's the idea. They applied, they lied, here's your citizenship. We're not going to take that away from you. We want you to be an American, even if you're a liar, even if you concealed the fact that you're a murderer. Who cares? We want you to be an American. Wow. So that undermines national security and violates the findings of the 9-11 Commission. So now if you go back to Reagan with his tepid efforts, which I think was just a smokescreen to justify the amnesty, 
they conceded that one of the big magnets that draws illegal aliens to America is the prospect of employment. That if you watch the people on the caravan, many of them will say, I'm poor. I can't make a living in my home country. That's why I'm going to America. There is no provision in law for economic refugees, folks. Don't tell me they live in poverty so they want to come to America. That's not a ground for political asylum because that's three-quarters of the world. I believe there's close to a billion people, a billion people who don't have electricity. Should we bring a billion people to America because we have electricity and they don't? That's nuts. But it seems to be the policy of the Biden administration, aided and abetted by the Republicans. Remember, it was Reagan who gave us the amnesty. So and everyone says, oh, it was a mistake. Well, maybe not. It was what Ted Kennedy wanted. He worked closely with Ted Kennedy, gave us the diversity visa, the visa waiver program, basically did an awful lot to dismantle border measures. Think about that. Both parties. This is a betrayal of Americans. Instead of looking at American citizens and saying, look, we have whatever the number of Americans is. Now we're up to, what, about 330 million people. With all the people we have in America, there's no reason why we need to employ foreign workers unless someone is truly exceptional, and the law provides for that. You know, people say to me, well, you wouldn't want Albert Einstein to come to America? You wouldn't want Elon Musk? No, the, the law is there. These are exceptionally talented people, and of course we want them to come. But when you import a million foreign workers a year, uh, permanent visas and temporary visas, the share numbers make it clear this isn't about extraordinary. The only thing extraordinary is they're willing to work for extraordinarily low wages under extraordinarily adverse conditions. And then they send money to their families back home. And I don't blame them. I would do it if I could do it. But that's money that's lost to our economy. And it's not just that amount of money. Just economists talk about the multiplier effect. That was the idea behind the economic stimulus package. If you give money to Americans, they will spend the money. If they spend the money... It generates more business. So if I go out and I buy a pair of shoes, the shoe salesman gets a paycheck at the end of the week and he buys a refrigerator. The guy that works in the factory making refrigerators, we actually still make some refrigerators in America, hard to imagine. The guy in the factory gets a paycheck and he goes on vacation. And the people that work in the hotel get a paycheck and they go out and they buy a car, whatever. So the money circulates through the economy. That's called the multiplier effect. It's estimated that every dollar that's put into the economy generates three more dollars in commerce and so forth. But when someone sends money out of our economy, what they're really sending out is the equivalent of three times the amount of the money they're sending out of the country because the multiplier effect is gone. That money is not generating any business inside our country. It's generating business in some other country, which is why when Kamala Harris says, oh, I'm going to talk to the leaders of the countries in Central America that send us lots of illegal aliens, what is she going to offer them? They want that money to flow from America into their economy. For Mexico, that money is their second biggest or third biggest source of revenue next to drugs and perhaps petroleum or whatever. We're talking about tens of billions of dollars a year flowing from the United States to Mexico. They count on that infusion of U.S. dollars. Now, of course, it's not just Latin America. We have aliens running that border from all over the world, including countries that sponsor terrorism. And some of the people that run the border don't run the border looking for a job. They run the border because they wanted the terrible crimes in their home country. They've committed murder. They've robbed banks. They've raped children. So they're on the run. They're fugitives, and they come to America to try to escape law enforcement in their own country. So the simplistic nonsense, oh, they're all coming to work, many of them are. And that creates problems. And by the way, the Congressional Budget Office did a study back in 2006 or 2007, and they found that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English. And how in the world can you teach critical race theory to kids who can't speak English? Now, I'm, I'm just joking now, but I, I couldn't resist. So when you have children who have learning disabilities, or you want to put new laboratories in the classroom, or you want to teach new skills to American kids, where do you get the money if you're flooding America with millions of foreign students who can't speak a word of English? Even if they could, the sheer numbers mean you need more teachers and more classrooms and more facilities. But then add to that the added headache of a couple of million kids who can't speak, read, or write English. So they wind up with English as a second language training 
instead of getting early intervention for children with autism, for example, American children. Every which way, a failure to secure our borders and enforce our immigration laws hammers Americans into the ground. And the the logic behind it is mind-boggling. But nevertheless, Mayorkas, and I wrote about Mayorkas back in December 7, 2020, before Biden was inaugurated, and he said he was going to pick Mayorkas. I said, this guy's a disaster, that he would turn DHS into the Department of Homeland Surrender. I hate being right. This was the guy who ordered his people when he headed up citizenship and immigration services under the Obama administration. He ordered the people there to get to yes, approve just about everything that lands on your desk. And the people there that worked for USCIS were so upset, they contacted the Office of Inspector General, Internal Affairs, which took a lot of guts, because this guy's a vindictive piece of work. And the OIG, Office of Inspector General, did an investigation and found that, yes, his, he was engaged in corrupt practices, in fact, approving petitions for treaty trader and visas and with a connection to Terry McAuliffe, yes, that Terry McAuliffe, and Hillary Clinton. And it goes round and round. I wrote an article back in 2016 when Hillary was running for president, and I said, uh, and I called it the Hillary virus. If you go to Front Page Magazine, I suggest you check out the Hillary virus. I think it'll give you a chuckle. I said viruses make us sick. That's one form of virus. The other form of virus is a computer virus that corrupts the system. And I said Hillary's making us sick, and she's corrupting the system. So... I think you'll find the article to be of interest, frontpagemag.com, the Hillary virus, Michael Cutler, that's me. I wrote the article. Um, So this is where we are. So they're allowing aliens to come into the United States. New York is screaming bloody murder because the court said that the Remain in Mexico policy of the Trump administration had to stand, and he's making it clear that they're going to do everything they can possibly do to overturn the court decision because he doesn't want anybody to wait in Mexico. Which brings us to amnesty and brings us to what we really need to do with immigration. I was listening to Senator Manchin, and he does sound like a rational, reasonable guy. And, you know, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These people, for the most part, are not Democrats. They're anarchists. They're communists. They're totalitarians. This isn't the Democrat Party that I know. But Manchin kind of sort of sounds a bit like the old-time Democrats. But they were asking him the other day, you know, what do you think about amnesty? Because that's what they're pushing for with this insane bill that they're trying to ram down our throats. You know, just like Obamacare, you won't know what's in the bill till we pass it. Really? Is that the way you buy a car or even a toaster oven? You won't know what it is till you give us your money and then we'll deliver it to you and you better like it or else. And he said, well, we first have to secure the border and we have to do all these other things. And we've heard this before. We've heard this primarily from the Republicans. Once we secure the border, so I, I want to run this by you so that you understand what the issues really are. Because what I'm counting on is that all of you will write letters to your member of Congress, your senators and your members of Congress, and explain to them a couple of things about what they would call comprehensive immigration reform. First of all, I wrote an article back in 2006, an op-ed for the Washington Times, that then-Senator Jeff Sessions liked so much, he quoted me with attribution from the floor of the Senate on three separate days during the floor debate. And the article that I wrote for the Washington Times, I said that um, immigration reform, Bill is a no-go, I think was the way I phrased it. Bill is a no-go. And I used the term no-go because I was comparing the hearings where I testified and others testified to the countdown of the launch of Space Shuttle Challenger. And I said the reason for the countdown to Space Shuttle Challenger, all, all countdowns actually, is for the scientists, the engineers, the technicians to weigh in as to whether or not they should proceed with a launch. Think what happened when they launched Challenger against the advice of some of their best engineers. We had a catastrophe in January 1986 when Challenger blew up just 71 seconds after liftoff because of the cold weather. The O-rings um, became brittle and the gases from the, from the uh, solid rocket boosters got past the O-rings and turned into a blowtorch that detonated that big uh, fuel tank that the shuttle used to be attached to. And we had a catastrophe. But I said, so the purpose for the countdown is for the experts to weigh in as to whether they should go forward with a launch. 
the purpose for the hearings in Congress are for the experts to weigh in as to whether they should go forward with legislation. And I said, if you look at comprehensive immigration reform, the idea of giving millions of people lawful status without the ability to interview them, forget about field investigations. And background checks are worthless, folks. You may not know this. If someone gives you a fake name and you run the name, it's not going to come up with any record because it's a fake name. And if their fingerprints aren't on file or there's a screw-up in running the fingerprint, you're going to get no record. So anybody who comes up with a name that doesn't set off the alarms and fingerprints that don't set off the alarms, within a matter of 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever, we would be giving lawful status to millions of aliens that they could immediately use to get driver's licenses, social security cards, credit cards, and get jobs that even if they didn't have national security implications might well have critical um, infrastructure implications. Working at power plants, I worry about who works in food processing plants, if they're out to poisonous, if they're terrorists. Very dangerous. And so I recommended that we give comprehensive immigration reform a new and more descriptive and honest name. I suggested calling it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. And as I say, Jeff Sessions liked it so much, he quoted me. Not long ago, I wrote another article, and I gave it yet another name, Comprehensive Immigration Reform. I called it the Overwhelm America Act. Biden talks about 11 million. Yale University talks about 22, 23 million, and that's as of 2018. Think of all the people who have come in since then. And I think even that number was low back then. And I said, okay. So let's say for argument's sake we wind up with 25 million illegal aliens getting lawful status. We don't know who the hell they are. Uh, By the way, put that in perspective, it only took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. How sobering is that thought? You're going to process millions of applications? You don't think at least 19 might be bad guys? Or maybe 1,900 or 19,000? And we know that Iran is moving sleeper agents into the United States, right? So that's why I said we should call this the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. So so that by itself is a serious enough problem. But here's another problem. Again, as I mentioned with Reagan, we we were told about a million would be involved. We wound up with almost 4 million. But no one talks about how many kids they bring in. So if, let's say, on average... Each alien who gets lawful status brings in four kids. It could be ten kids. We don't know. Remember, you've got Mayorkas at the helm saying approve everything and anything. So God knows, people are going to lie. You know, you may wind up with somebody who has five kids, and, 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 they're, and they were born, you know, like three months apart. No one's going to do that. Sit there and say, gee whiz, that's not physically possible. How could you be born three months apart from the same mother? You know, it doesn't work. Well, don't let that bother you. Just approve the application. By the way, the other thing that most people don't know, and I was an adjudicator for a year, so I did all these jobs, and I I know where the vulnerabilities are. If they tell you that we've got to clear up a backlog, that means you've got to approve the applications. If you don't approve the applications, the backlog is going to overwhelm us. So everyone's going to approve all the applications, right? So it only takes minutes to approve an application. It could take days or weeks to deny one because then you've got to get an agent to go out and do a field investigation, and there are no agents. And we're going to get to that momentarily also. So what does that mean? It means that the pressure is going to be on to approve everything that lands on your desk. And let's say we legalize 25 million illegal aliens, and we don't know when they were here. That's the other argument. I heard Manchin saying it. Well, if these folks have been here for a bunch of years and they've been working and they're part of the economy, folks, if you're an illegal alien, you're not supposed to be here and you're not supposed to be working. The Labor Department used to run immigration prior to the Second World War. President Roosevelt, wanting to get America up and running during the Depression, hammered immigration. He said, I don't want any American to have to compete with a foreign worker for a job. They're displacing Americans and they're driving down wages, and we don't want that to happen. So immigration was the responsibility of the United States Labor Department. The goal was to preserve jobs and wages for Americans. That's the part of the Democrat Party I agree with. My dad was a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a plumber, my hero. My mother, by the way, came as a 13-year-old 
ahead of the Holocaust. Her mother couldn't get out of Poland, was killed in Poland because of our religion. And she supported herself at the age of 13, working in a sweatshop, making umbrellas for $3 a week. Another hero. I had great parents, and they went through hell. So the idea is that we're going to take all these people and we're going to let them work, because that's what Manchin said. That's what the Republicans are always saying. That's what they say at all the networks. Well, they're part of the economy, and they're paying taxes. By the way, folks, how many times have you heard that argument? Oh, they pay taxes, right? I bet you heard that argument. Let's stop and think what they pay taxes really means. The average illegal alien is probably not earning $15 an hour. If you make $15 an hour, you're making $30,000 a year. What kind of taxes are you paying on $30,000 a year? Furthermore, if you claim to have dependent children back home, you're entitled to that earned tax credit, which means not only don't you pay taxes, but Uncle Sam will cut you a check. Think about that. And we always hear they're paying taxes. No, they're not. If they buy work boots or sweatshirts or, or, or they go out and buy some food, yeah, they're going to pay tax on that. But please don't tell me they're paying taxes. And all they have to do is make one visit to the emergency room or have a child with them in, in this country going to school. In New York, it costs $25,000 per year to educate each child. You have people that aren't making 25000 a year, so their taxes are covering the education of their children? And if they have two or three kids, now we're talking 75000 a year for education, but they pay taxes. And I, I think I told you at, at some point in a prior program, I was giving a speech to a group of military officers, and a colonel had lunch with me, and he said, Mr. Cutler, they pay taxes, don't they? And I told him what I just told you. And he looked really embarrassed. He said, I don't know what to say. And since it was just the two of us, because I would never do anything to embarrass anybody in front of an audience, that's not my tactic at all. I just looked at him and I said, you know what, Colonel? My parents had great advice for that kind of a situation. If you don't know what to say, say nothing. But he said, you know, it's bothering me. He said, I'm a colonel in the United States Air Force. I should know better. He said, but somehow they keep saying these things, and after a while you start to think it's true. I said, yes, Goebbels was very good at doing that for the Third Reich, the big lie. They pay taxes. He said, but what you're saying makes sense. I said, I know it makes sense. I've had a long time to consider it. If you're making 30000 a year, even if you're not looking for that earned tax credit, how much tax are you paying? What nonsense. And meanwhile, Americans are losing their jobs, and they're relying on expensive safety net programs. So when I hear this nonsense, well, if we have to hire Americans, it's going to be inflationary because Americans make more money. Well, I hope they make more money. But if they make more money, folks, they're less likely to need economic safety net programs like food stamps and housing subsidies. If they're making more money, they'll be paying taxes. They'll be paying taxes. And if they make more money, they'll have the money to spend, kind of like the economic stimulus package, which means they're going to go out there and they're going to buy a new coat, maybe a big screen TV, maybe a new laptop, maybe they'll go on vacation. So when I hear this nonsense that if Americans make more money, it's inflationary. So you have Americans, and very often these are people sitting on a set, and they're not journalists, they're uh, news readers, okay? They're teleprompter readers. And they're saying, oh, my God, they're going to have to be paid more than $15 an hour? Are you crazy? Sure. I know that they show up in the studio every morning, and they're making $15 an hour, too. I'm just sure of it. It's outrageous the way we're turning on each other. The American dream is to get a good job that pays a decent amount of money so you could live a decent life. And we're not talking about opulent. We're just talking decent. Go out and buy a container of milk and see what it costs us of the idiocy of the Biden administration. But that's all you hear even on the conservative programs. $15 an hour. Are you kidding what is it exactly that these folks would like to see for their fellow Americans? They're making out like bandits. Good for them. But this comes back to critical empathy theory. Instead of saying, gee whiz, I might have to pay more taxes, and you probably won't. Because if Americans were working and foreign workers weren't here sending money out of our economy, 
that Americans were better paid, they'd be better consumers, and they'd be contributing their money to taxes. But nobody wants to think of that. Just like I heard this nonsense, and I really cannot stand AOC, Alexandria the barmaid, but a broken clock is right every 12 hours. And she went after this notion of Amazon and not having to pay taxes in New York City. And everyone jumped on the bandwagon, including one of Donald Trump's family members. Oh, my God, could you imagine all the jobs Amazon would have brought to New York? But they, she doesn't want them. She wants them to have to pay taxes. So why would they do business in New York? Really? It's outrageous. It enraged me. I thought my head was going to explode. Look, let's get this straight. If you think that a business that creates jobs shouldn't pay taxes, I could see the case to be made for that. Then that means any business that creates jobs should not be paying taxes. You own a car dealership. You have 22 mechanics. You have 17 salespeople. You have five people in the back room doing the paperwork. You have an accountant. You have a lawyer. You have a, a finance guy. Great. So you're creating jobs. So then that car dealership should not be paying taxes. Because if all you're going to do is allow huge companies like um, Amazon or Target or Costco or Walmart to not pay taxes, then they can lower their prices even more because their overhead is now cheaper, which means that the mom-and-pop stores can't possibly compete with them. They can barely compete with them now. So you're going to make sure that we kill off every mom-and-pop store. Is that what capitalism is supposed to look like? So what happened to that American dream? I have a friend. I've known him for many, many years. His, his grandfather and his father started this business. They, they have an appliance store. I don't know how they're still in business because they're competing with, with all the big box stores, the Best Buys and the Targets, etc. If you allow Amazon to pay no taxes, you're going to allow them to be able to undercut competition even more. This is insane. This is insane. If you're a mayor and Amazon wants to move in, work with Amazon. No argument. They have big trucks. You want to reinforce the pavement so that the trucks won't have a problem. You don't want the street to collapse. That's fine. You, you, you reinforce the street. You want to change traffic patterns to make it easier for them to move their trucks in and out of their facility. That's a great idea. You want to eliminate on-the-street parking during certain hours or maybe permanently, again, to help their business be more efficient. Go for it. But then they, in turn, are paying taxes into the city to help the city's budget. That makes perfect symbiotic sense. Symbiotic, not one-sided. Unless, of course, they're bribing the politicians and saying, hey, we'll give you a campaign contribution, but we're not going to pay taxes. Now, if that isn't corruption, I want someone to explain what corruption looks like. Okay. So the idea is we should be nurturing mom-and-pop businesses by giving them a level playing field, not an advantage, but don't give them a disadvantage. And certainly encourage American kids to strive to be the best they can be and get the jobs that they want if they're qualified. But you're not doing that when you import an army of Indian workers. And I've talked about this before with Bob Goodlatte, the former Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who was an H-1B immigration lawyer who made tons of money with H-1B visas and was always pushing for more H-1B visas to generate business for himself and his lawyer buddies. And his own son, as he told me, Bobby Goodlatte, loves thousands and thousands and thousands of Indian programmers because they work for less money. So who cares if Americans who've gotten their master's degrees and graduate with honors are fired? Too bad. Look, they did it to cab drivers in New York with Uber. You had people investing a million dollars in a medallion so they could drive a cab in New York City, and then they, they cut the world out from under them, and we had a bunch of cab drivers winding up committing suicide in New York because no matter how many hours they worked, they couldn't pay off the loan on their medallions because they were competing with a limitless number of Uber drivers. That's not fair. That's not American. And, and yet the politicians do it without any regard at all to the harm they're doing to hardworking Americans. Tell kids to go to college and get that degree 
And then when they get the degree, they find out that they're competing with workers from India who will work for one-third, which should be the living wage or, or the normal wage in, in a high-tech industry. That Alan Greenspan was out there referring to high-tech Americans as the privileged elite and said they're making far too much money. This guy that has mansions all over the place, including a mansion in the Hamptons, that he had the chutzpah to call American high-tech workers the privileged elite. And he said the solution to wage inequality is to make Americans compete with foreign workers. That's what the immigration laws prevent. And that's why they want to, quote, modernize the immigration laws. What does that mean? Make it so that you don't have to hire Americans. And that's exactly now what we're seeing from the Biden administration with Mayorkas. Mayorkas said, you can hire anybody you want. We don't care if you hire illegal aliens. Go for it. Just don't mistreat them. If you mistreatment, then we'll do something to you. But if you want to fire every American who works for you, go for it. We don't need Americans working. We want to make sure, I guess, that we attract the whole world to come to the United States because if you flood America with enough people, you will destroy the economy, and then everybody will be dependent on government for a handout. And the Democrat Party is the party of the handout. But just like an allowance, once they give you the money, they control you because they're control freaks. That's where we are. So someone needs to say to Manchin, first of all, Hey, Senator, do you realize that if you have an amnesty for $11 million, it would be more like $25 million? And then if they bring their kids here, we could be looking at more than 100 million aliens coming into the United States. How does America cope with that? What does that do to the green environment? What does that do to the economy? What does that do to inflation? Everyone needs more than a pillow to sleep on. They need food and water. They need electricity. They need housing. They need transportation, health care, education. America cannot sustain this. This is unsustainable. And that's why I said that Biden's plans for immigration should be called the Overwhelm America Act. And the other part of it is he said, well, we have to secure the border first. Well, of course we have to secure the border. But we also have to have enough agents to do investigations into fraud. And we don't. And I can tell you that we had a pilot program back around 1974 because lots of people were getting married on paper, but they weren't living together to get green cards. They didn't even know where they were supposed to be living with their spouse because nobody was interviewing them. And once we started doing interviews, and I did this for a year, there was like panic. I should say to the woman, where do you live? And she'd give you an address, and I'd say, what kind of a building is it? Oh, it's an apartment house. Oh, does it have an elevator? Yes. And what floor do you live on? Oh, I live on the sixth floor. Oh, so you take the elevator. Oh, yes. Okay. And then you ask the husband, where do you live? And he gives you maybe the same address, maybe not. And you say, well, what kind of a house is it? Oh, it's a, it's a private house. A private house? Oh. So how many floors? Oh, three floors. Oh, where do you live? Oh, we live in the basement. Oh. So the woman said she lived on the sixth floor of an apartment house with an elevator, and the husband said he lived in the basement. Easy to prove this is a marriage fraud. And they got more sophisticated quickly. And then when we were able to prove it was a fraud, we were going out, arresting the aliens, and we were deporting them immediately. You know what? the number of applications for green cards based on marriage dropped through the floorboards, dropped through the floorboards. You were getting maybe one-tenth the number of applications. Why? Because suddenly they realized that if they filed an application and they lied, there would be consequences. I jokingly wanted to call the program Truth or Consequences. You don't tell the truth, there's consequences. So if you start to go after the fraud, which is a national security issue, as I've mentioned so many times, and people face consequences for lying, they'll stop lying. That's why people worry when they get correspondence from the IRS. And by the way, Joe Biden, who doesn't care what aliens do to defraud America, certainly is concerned about Americans who might defraud the IRS because he's coming for your money as well as your freedom. So think about all that. So very quickly, I just want to mention this thing about the money, and I'm going to be writing an article about it. The argument is that because of incompetence or whatever, the Trump administration separated children from their parents, and now they have to pay money to these people for a settlement. First of all, the money's going to go to the ACLU. Lawyers are filing the lawsuits. So this is yet another lawyer employment program, item number one. Item number two. Many of these kids were not being brought here with their own parents. They were being brought here with, by criminals, by smugglers. And when Trump said we ought to be doing DNA testing to make certain that we don't release a child into the custody of a smuggler, somebody who's not their parent, 
the courts prevented it. And if you want to stop this practice of people coming here with their children, then make it clear to them that if they get here illegally, they're not getting in. So that's how you prevent people from doing this. What Biden is doing is encouraging it. Look at how many kids are now being brought into the United States by the smugglers. And nobody wants to talk about the human trafficking and the sex trafficking and all the other abuses of these children because of the, quote, compassion of the Biden administration. But the mainstream media, of course, doesn't want to talk about that. Finally, when we arrest people for committing crimes, and we know there were children there, child welfare would come along with us to take custody of the children, to put them into foster care. We don't say to somebody, oh, you just sold five kilos of heroin to an undercover, but you have a child, so you're not going to jail. Baloney. So aren't those families being separated? That's just the way it works. What are we supposed to do, have the child serve a jail sentence with the parents? So this is all a bunch of baloney. But here's a point. If you really believe that when, because of government mistakes, uh, innocent children are separated from their families and you think that they should be given hundreds of thousands of dollars, so let's make a case for that. So think about this, ladies and gentlemen. How many children have been orphaned because criminal aliens killed one or both of their parents? American children, foreign children, I don't care. But let's focus on Americans for a change. Wouldn't that be nice? So you have American kids whose parents don't come home because they were killed by an illegal alien who shouldn't have been here in the first place. They were killed by an alien who was in custody, and the local sheriff or whomever decided to not honor a detainer that was lodged by immigration The guy is released, he goes out on the street, and within two days, three days, whatever, he kills the parent or parents of a child. Shouldn't that child be getting paid the same way as the illegal aliens, if that's what the argument is? Because the government screwed up, and in that case, they screwed up intentionally. Yeah, we know the guy's a dirtbag. Yeah, we know that immigration wants to deport him. But we don't like that idea, so we're just going to turn this guy loose on the street. So here's my proposal, a counteroffer. If you watch my cousin Vinny, a counteroffer. Let's give millions of dollars from cities around the country that practice sanctuary policies if the sanctuary policy can be shown to have resulted in the death of the parent of an American child. If the argument is that the government screwed up and a child is now paying a terrible price, then let's do it. Let's have those cities fork over millions of dollars to the children or the spouses who lost a loved one because a city refused to work with ICE or a city refused to hold somebody in custody, release them on bail, even though, release them without bail, even though they have a violent background. Fair is fair. You know, if you're concerned about miscarriages of justice committed by the government, Folks, I can't imagine the more egregious miscarriage of administration of governmental responsibility than sanctuary cities' idiotic notion that somehow we're going to have social justice by turning violent sociopaths loose on society. That's my suggestion. Maybe you folks want to run with it when you speak to your elected representatives, hopefully very soon. We, the people, have got to take control back from both parties because at the end of the day, this government of ours is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we are in the position to make that happen. Glad you could join me this evening. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend coming up. Let's not forget Veterans Day and the incredible sacrifices of uh, men and women in the armed forces. Um, Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Be well. And we'll see you again right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Check out my articles at frontpagemag.com and usincorporated.org. And please share those links, including a link to the podcast of this program with as many people as you can and be part of what I've come to call my bucket brigade of truth. Good night, everybody. See you next week.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.